All right, well, hey, listen, last week we, um, we, we wanted to talk, I wanted to pull out for just a minute, I wanted to cover something concerning the rapture, because we had just come out of a season um, that was the Feast of Trumpets and, and Yom Kippur, which are the two um, um, fall holidays for the Jewish feast, and so a lot of talk happens around the Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur and um, the Day of Atonement and this idea of, of how do we count a jubilee year in Israel and when did God begin because God said to the people of Israel that when they returned to the land that they should begin marking years that would mark their jubilee. And everybody debates on when that is and this was supposed to be according to some um, YouTubers <laughs> that this was supposed to be the, the grand year of the jubilee that marked um, and every year around the Feast of Trumpets, there's a lot of rapture talk. And so I wanted to kind of clear it up for us because I had been privy to that and people coming, you know, obviously they come to me with those, those types of debates and concerns. And, you know, the, the very skinny of that is that people are trying to, in essence, what they do every year is they predict the rapture and, and, they, and they sensationalize biblical prophecy. And the problem is, you know, for a mature Christian, we can handle it. It's not going to shake our faith. But for an immature Christian or a nominal Christian or a new believer who buys into these type of sensational ideas every year and then they don't happen, it begins to um, deflate their faith. It begins to hurt their faith when, when biblical prophecy is sensationalized. And um, as you guys know, many of these things, they sell books. You know, In 1988, the, there's a famous uh, a book in, that, that made the rounds in Christian churches all over the world, and it was 88 reasons why Jesus is returning in 1988. And um, the simple math was, the conclusion was, um, in 1948, they returned to the land of Israel. Jesus said the generation who sees um, the return of the fig tree budding the generation that will see the second coming of Christ. Jesus says that in Matthew. And, and so they, the, the guy just came up with all this magic to say that 1948, a biblical generation, is 40 years. And, um, and so Jesus is coming back in 1988, and he wrote a whole book about it. Um, when 1988 came and went and Jesus didn't return, what do you think the guy did? You think he went public and said, I was wrong? No, he wrote a second book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in, in, in 1989. And, you know, they, they don't go away. And, and the thing is, again, um, it's state setting. And, and listen, if, if I teach you guys anything, just simple, simple, simple Bible stuff, Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. That's, that's Calvary Chapel. That's Christians. That's, that's people that read the Bible, right? So if no matter what happens, you're not going to be a person who's going to fall for any of these ideas of date setting and of, of somebody telling you when Jesus is coming back. Because the Bible is super clear. No man knows the day or the hour. And if we're starting to predict the day or hour. Now, what's, what's phenomenal in the Old Testament, it really wasn't that way. In the Old Testament, they knew the day or the hour. They, they knew that the day that Jesus would triumphantly ride in, it was told exactly to the day. But Jesus said concerning the, the rapture that no man knows the day or the hour. And then he goes on and he says, what else about it? He's going to come as a what? Thief in the night. And it's going to happen how? In the blink of an eye, right? So on Sunday, we're having a special presentation and we're going to go through the seven feasts of Israel. And you're going to get to see the model, the whole biblical model. The, the, the first four feasts were fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. The last three remaining of the seven major feasts are going to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. And so um, the next one in the prophetic model is the Feast of Trumpets. 
So it, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, we look for the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets in this, because the model is absolutely, and, I, and I've taught this before, um, the guy, Michael, who's from, um, I always say Jews for Jesus, but it's another one of the same ministries, Jews for Jesus. He's a missionary that's, that's a good friend of ours. He's been here before. He does ministry with Israel and through Israel and through this ministry of uniting Christians and Jews, uh, Messianic Jews. And he's going to be here and he's going to share the presentation on the seven feasts. And basically what we're going to see is that the first four feasts of the seven major Jewish feasts that God lays out in the word of God were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Basically in his, in his death, in his resurrection, and, and leading up to the, the Pentecost where the, the church is born. Those are the first four fall feasts. Those four are fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled them exactly on the second of the Jewish holiday day to the second. So why would he do a, a model of this, the first four exactly on the day and then not complete the, the last three remaining fall feasts um, exactly on the day? So it makes sense that he's going to do it on the day. So it does make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of biblical sense to look at the model and say the next major event is the rapture of the church, which will be fulfilled on the Feast of Trumpets. There's some problems with that. You know, and again, I, I get caught up myself. I've got caught up, and I tell you, even though I know there's no, no man knows the day or the hour, I myself, every year around Feast of Trumpets, I'm paying attention. You know, I'm just like making sure that my hand's not in the cookie jar or something. Like, I'm, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. I'll tell you, it is, it is kind of still fascinating to me. But here's the problem, right? If, if, if the rapture has to be on the Feast of Trumpets, that's a two days of every year. That leaves 363 days of the year that Jesus cannot come back. I, I, don't, I will not for one second ascribe to that. I'm, I, because, again, the whole idea of the rapture and the thief in the night, the Bible teaches there's, there's, there's an expectancy of Christ's return that we live list, and the Bible says very clearly that the function of that is to purify how we live. But if I only have to make sure that I'm pure on two days of the year, to be honest, I could live like hell in December and January and February and March and April and, and around the end of the summertime, you know, which again, that doesn't work. But if I wanted to kind of write, um, I, I could do that. And I would just make sure around the Feast of Trumpets every year that then I'm ready and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, 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 I'm square on those days. And then I just go back to the bar the rest of the year because Jesus can't come back unless it's the Feast of Trumpets. And, and again, it, it's two major problems. The, the, the first major problem is that it limits the time that Jesus could come back to a couple days of the year. And the second problem is, which is date setting, and we don't date set, right? We're not date setters. And we, and we deny emphatically anybody that wants to set a date, right? And then, um, what did I say the second problem was? Huh? Yeah, you live, you live rough the rest of the year, and so those, those are not there. Now, I'll tell you, um, Jack Hibbs and, and Amir Safadi were tackling this in a Q&A. And they did a phenomenal job with it. And even for me, I was learning with them, you know, and, and these are Calvary guys. And, um, and, and Amir, who's not necessarily a Calvary guy, he's an he's a, he's a evangelical uh, Messianic Jew from Israel who's friends with Jack. Jack met him going to Israel, and he was a tour guide, like our friend Herzl, who we've been with, and he's a Messianic Jew, and Jack built a relationship, and now he has this ministry. But, you know, it was funny because when Amir was posed the question, you know, the rapture, does the rapture happen on the Feast of Trumpets? Amir said, oh, they don't know their Bible. They don't read their Bible. Why would you think that? You know, for him, it was like, to me, I'm like, yeah, that, that's the logic sense. That's what you guys have been teaching us. That's what we've been studying. That's what we've been learning. That's the logical conclusion is that the next major 
um, event in history is the rapture, and it coincides with the next Jewish feast prophetically is the rapture. So that's, that's the way it lays out. And he's like, you know, with Jack, you know, but with, with the mirror. But here's what makes way more sense and that we can put a finger on. It does, it, this model, the seven feast model in the Bible, these Jewish feasts that, that God uses prophetically, Jesus uses prophetically to mark the first four major events, to keeping with the second three, it is, the, is that it's not, because technically, you think of the second coming as Christ. What do you think of if I say the second coming of Christ? What comes to your mind? How about somebody else? Second coming of Christ. What do you think of? Okay. And the rapture? Okay. What else? Anybody else? Second coming of Christ. What do you think of? Okay. The, the second coming of Christ is at the end of the seven years. That's the second coming of Christ. So, I mean, I get it, right? We say second coming. We say we think rapture. That's, that proved my point. I, the same thing. That's kind of how we talk. how we think. We think of it as the second coming of Christ as being the rapture. But technically, in the rapture, Jesus doesn't come. Jesus meets us in the clouds. He doesn't even come to earth. It says he's coming as a thief in the night. You know, I've told you guys this scenario too, like the old Tim LaHaye Left Behind series is like, um, it's, it's this mass chaos. Very possible. Maybe the rapture creates this mass chaos. I don't know. Maybe because the Bible says Jesus is going to come as a thief in the night, maybe just by the, 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 the sovereignty of God, the power of God, the very providence of God, he just picks us all out of here really, really quietly, and it's a week or two before the dust settles and everybody figures out what's going on, okay? So that's the rapture. But the, the, the technical term, the second coming of Christ, that happens in Revelation chapter 19 at the Battle of Armageddon. And in that case, Jesus comes back to the earth. He comes on a white horse. We come behind him, right? A sword goes out of his mouth. He has written upon his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. He does battle with the armies of Antichrist. The blood runs to the horse's bridle. It, it fills the valley. God summons hundreds of thousands of carnivorous birds that are circling over before the battle begins that are going to feast on the flesh of the, ba- of the armies of Antichrist that are killed in the battle of Armageddon. Jesus puts one foot on the Mount of Olives, one foot on the Temple Mount. The Kidron Valley splits from east to west, right down the middle is, 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 provi- is prophesied in the second coming of Christ. Then from the end of the seven years, that's Revelation 19. That's the second coming of Christ. Revelation 20 is what? Thousand-year reign of Christ. So only, only really one particular chapter in the Bible, Isaiah has a lot to say about it, Jeremiah has stuff to say. All through the Bible, they say things about the, 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 the thousand-year reign of Christ with some little details. But chapter 20 details that for a thousand years that, that he's going to come back. Now, at, at the Battle of Armageddon, seven years of, of mass chaos on the world, what, what happens um, to the world? It's basically destroyed, right? Limited nuclear weapons, earthquakes, famines, pests, all kinds of crazy stuff going on, right? So, so the earth in itself, the blood dries up, the sea dies, the oceans are turned to blood, the, the fish life dies, the trees are destroyed, the four winds are held from the corners of the earth. Mass devastation on planet earth. Two-thirds of the world's population dies in all of these things. Asteroids hit the earth, 100-pound hailstones are, are raining down during the tribulation. Demons are let out of the abuso. I mean, all hell literally is, is, is let loose on the earth, and, it, and, and the earth is going to be completely um, geographically, uh, what's the word, ecologically decimated. It's going to be destroyed. So Jesus is going to give it a 
makeover. He's got, um, I, seen it, I seen, I had a vision of it. Um, he has this big bus, and he's going to park it in front of the earth, and then he's going to say, move that bus, and then they're going to pull the bus out, and, and it's going to be revealed, the, the new earth. But it, on the new earth, the Bible gives us some details. It says that the lion and the lamb will lay down together, and a child will lead them both by the, by the wolf. It says that streams will flow in the desert, in the desert places, so the earth gets a, 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 a makeover. And, and those that survived the seven years, and then those of us who, who were in heaven prior, all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way through, everybody that went in the rapture, go into the thousand years. Those that go into the thousand years in our glorified bodies redeemed, no, no, no chance to, to fall into sin again or go to hell. You're, you're saved, you're born again, you go into the thousand years, and the Bible says we rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. There will be flesh that's going to go into the thousand-year reign. And they'll live for a thousand years. And so women will be having babies into their hundreds and five hundreds and six hundreds and who knows, you know. And, and so the earth will massively repopulate. And, and the Bible says that we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And, and this part, I don't understand when you get to heaven, ask God about it. But the Bible says at the end of the thousand years that Satan will be let loose. And when Satan is let loose, that, that he will cause one last rebellion and people will follow him. After a thousand years of perfect theocracy on planet Earth, no, no corrupt governments, no corrupt cops and racism and none of the issues. You know, today you could say, oh, well, I didn't follow God because the hand that I was dealt. You know, I was born in the, in the hood to a bad situation. Everybody in my family were drug addicts, and that's what I did. That's all I knew, and the government was corrupt, and yada, yada, yada. None of that. No more excuses. They're all gone. A thousand years of perfect reign of Christ, and yet there's still a rebellion at the end of the thousand years, okay? All right, now I started a point that I didn't make. The, the second coming at the Battle of Armageddon, if we look at that, and again, I'm not, I'm not being dogmatic here, but if that becomes the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets, then it could be numbered. It could be the exact day on the Feast of Trumpets that Jesus comes back, and that to me makes more sense. It makes much more biblical continuity because I do believe in this in this seven feast model that God has already used four of Un, no no debate no unequivocally he's used the first four Jewish feasts fulfilled in four events of Jesus's perfect exact on the day timing life to fulfill these first four prophetic models the last three are coming and then and then there's a break from from the time that Jesus fulfilled this feast around Passover around Easter to the what's called the fall feasts, which are these three that are that are that are coming up yet future that are going to mark the second coming of Christ, the thousand year reign of Christ, and and the and, and a new heaven, and new earth. So, um, so we still can know that Jesus is going to come back, and and the, and the three and the seven years. It also it's marked to the day, because the Bible says at twelve hundred and sixty days into the seven year period. Something's going to happen. You guys know what that is? 1,260 days in, Revelation 13. The what? The Antichrist breaks the covenant. How does he break the covenant? He does something. Jesus talked about it. Daniel talked about it. He goes into the, into the temple, and what does he do in the temple? 
He declares himself to be God, which Jesus called the abomination of desolation. Daniel said, when you see the abomination of desolation, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, flee. So at the three and a half year mark, 1260 days in, that means there has to be a day number one, a day number 72, a day number 400, a day number 1260. And on that day, that Monday, that Tuesday, whatever day, that's going to be on day 1260, the flesh antichrist filled with the devil, empowered by the devil, is going into the temple. That's why they're absolutely 100%. I heard a pastor say recently, "Why? Well, I, I think they're going to have, I think the Jews will be able to rebuild their temple one day. And I'm like, no, they're going to. They have to rebuild their temple. They will rebuild their temple because the antichrist is going to enter this temple, the Bible says unequivocally, on day 1260 of the tribulation. And something changes right there. The Bible says the first half of the tribulation is called tribulation. It says the second half of the tribulation, the second 1260 days, is called great tribulation. little small minor detail there, okay? So again, you, 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 can, you have this frame. Now, and I've asked this before, Trivia 101, let me, you know, the seventh time you guys are going to get it, okay? I won't be lying if I didn't say the old abomination of desolation, Trivia 1, didn't get me a little bit. Um, something marks the beginning of that time frame. Because if I have to have 1,260 days, I have to have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to mark day one so that on day 1260, the Antichrist can go into the temple and declare himself as God, causing the abomination of desolation, setting up himself to be worshipped, causing those to worship him, killing everybody who won't, won't worship him and by taking the mark of the beast. That's, that's Revelation 13. So what... Marks day number one. All right, I'll, I'll let you guys off the hook. The rapture, that kind of makes sense, right? But that's not the right answer. Very good. In Okay, it, the answer is Daniel 9.25. Okay, what marks day number one is when the Antichrist and listen, we got to be careful because I heard some teaching on this that was really good. And we always say that when the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel, because that's what it says in Daniel 9.25. But if you, if you really pay attention to the Hebrew and the English, it just, and it's a little nuanced. It means nothing. It doesn't change anything. But just to, just to make sure we get it right, it says when the Antichrist confirms a treaty with Israel. So it, it almost sounds like the treaty's in place. And then the, but the Antichrist has the power to um, make it happen. Nobody before. So it's the treaty and then confirms it, or it's a treaty that's in place. It doesn't matter. But like I said, a little tiny nuance that the Antichrist confirms the treaty. So um, let me just. Sorry, guys. I said 25. No, I was just going to double check that. Thank you. 927. Daniel 927 is the answer, right? So the Antichrist confirms the treaty. Now, the rapture has already have had to happen. First Thessalonians. Chapter 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 makes it very clear in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist will not be revealed until after the restrainer is taken out. Okay? The restrainer is taken out in the rapture. That's the rapture. The restrainer is taken out, the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. So we'll never know. We'll never know. It's fun to kind of pick people who Jared Kushner and whatever, Ronald Reagan and Obama and... Every, every U.S. president always becomes, it started with Ronald Reagan. And it was, what's Reagan's middle name? 
Ronald, Gerald Reagan, I remember. Um, but anyways, all three, na- all three names in Ronald Reagan's name have six letters, 666. So the mark of the beast, he's the Antichrist. Um, we've had so many over the years that have been the Antichrist. Um, Jared Kushner is the one that's getting a lot of fame right now, the, prime, the president of Ukraine. I've heard his name recently. Um, listen, we're, we're not looking for Antichrist. Again, if you're, if you're a fan of Bible prophecy, it's totally cool. It's totally fun to, to look at the world economics and say, man, this guy kind of fit that bill. But I want you to, to understand something very clearly in your, your Antichrist kind of figuring out. The Bible says, now, now the Antichrist, we'll never know, right? We're not, it's not, he's not going to be revealed on the earth until the church is removed. So we'll be gone. But the Bible says in Thessalonians that the Antichrist, he will be filled with all kinds of lying signs and wonders. Two people in human history, Satan himself enters. Jesus spent his ministry casting out demons, correct? Did Jesus ever cast the devil himself out of anybody? No, but did the devil himself ever enter anybody in Jesus' day? Judas Iscariot, the only person in human history, the devil himself said, this is a big job. I'm not trusting it even to my highest demon. I'm doing this one myself. Satan himself goes into, goes into the soul of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot then goes out and hangs himself because that's the will of Satan for every person. Okay? The second time the Bible says that's going to happen is with this Antichrist character, that Satan himself is going to enter him. And when that happens, now you've got to think of who Satan is, right? Like, he's, he's an angel created of God, a cherub anointed by God, who's got 6,000 years of wisdom in human history, who knows the Bible better than any of you. I mean, has all kinds of war and, and spiritual, like, the guy's, the guy's pretty accomplished dude, okay? So he, the Bible says he's going to fill this Antichrist character. When that happens, the Antichrist now will be, will be accompanied by all kinds of lying signs and wonders. So, so for us to pick out this, this charismatic, world leader, dominant figure that could pull off being the, the world leader after the rapture and the chaos of the world ensues, this guy that's going to take over the world, this Antichrist, man, it could be this, this, this main character, you know? It doesn't have to be. You know, I always joke, you guys heard me tell the joke before, it could be Pee Wee Herman. By the way, God bless his soul, he just passed away. I just read that, I think, last week that, that, that he passed away. But, and most of you guys are too young to remember, but, you know, like, <laughs> I remember. But, I mean, it could be Pee Wee Herman today, and then everybody says, is the Antichrist alive today? Because here's the idea. So let me ask you, is the Antichrist alive and well today? So here's the deal. Throughout history, since Adam and Eve, an Antichrist has been alive as long as there's a person on planet Earth. Because it's not like Satan does, things Satan doesn't know, he doesn't know, just like you and I don't know. Just like Jesus said, no man knows the day or hour. Satan doesn't know when the Antichrist, I mean, when Jesus is coming back and when he has to have this guy ready. So I'm sure he's probably got, throughout all of history, he's probably had four or five people he's had his eye on. Oh, I'll use this guy. Because everything changes when what? When Satan enters him. When Satan enters him, yeah. When Satan enters the Antichrist, they're this human character, this Judas Iscariot. And, and now listen, I think you can also, you know, um, the, the Antichrist, biblically, if you want to make, and, and again, you could, you could argue both sides of anything that I'm telling you now. But listen, the, not anything I'm telling you, most of the things. Um, some things are bond. But um, 
it says that the Antichrist is going to come from the, the rebuilt European Union. That's from that statue of Daniel, and, the, and we are the people of the, the, the clay, right? We're the, ten, the feet and toes of clay and iron, mixed with iron and clay. That's ten nations that in the, in the 70th year of Daniel, in the time of Jacob's trouble, the, the statue of Daniel is fulfilled, and then there's a pause, and, and, then the, and then the time of the end, right? There's 69 weeks of Daniel's prophecy and nine that are fulfilled, all Jewish, then a pause. That's where we are now, the church age. In Romans, it says that when, when the, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then God is going to remove the blinders from the eyes of Israel. So when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the rapture happens. Daniel, Daniel 11.25 is a rapture scripture. And when the rapture happens, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And now we've moved out of the pause area. And the, and, but again, it happens in Daniel's prophecy of the people of the toes. And those ten toes represent ten nations. Have you guys ever heard people talk about and when they hear these forming the UN, forming nations, and there's, you know, there's seven and they're adding three, and everybody's always, oh, it's ten, this is it, this is the ten nations. There's going to be ten nations. And from those ten nations, Antichrist will come from one of those ten nations. Very, very, very possibly the Antichrist comes from Europe. It, is the Antichrist going to be a Jew? The Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say. The Bible says um, lots of things about the Antichrist that you could make conclusions. Me personally, I 100% believe he's going to be a Jew. Doesn't mean he is. He's going to be European. It doesn't mean he's going to be born and raised in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem and, and Israel either. He could be a European Jew. And I could be totally wrong because the Bible doesn't say, but the Bible says several things about him. And to me, the, the correlation, I just make a simple correlation. Again, I'm just a simple guy. Um, who, did, who did Satan fill the last time? Judas Iscariot. Was Judas Iscariot a Jew? Yes. This Antichrist character is, is a type or is the second fulfillment of Judas Iscariot. I believe he's going to be a Jew as well. I believe he's going to be a Jew because one of the things that's, that's very important is that, is that Israel is going to believe he's their Messiah. And Israel, you know, for 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even my pastor, Pastor Gerald, was, we were on this big Muslim kick, you know. 30 years ago, a guy in Calvary Chapel wrote a book called The Woman Who Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt. And The Woman Who Rides the Beast was... Um, this, this book about identifying what is going to be the religion of the Antichrist. Because again, some simple things we know from Revelation. The, the Antichrist is going to, under his seven-year power, he's going to do four major things, the Bible tells us. He's going to form a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world religion, and, and, and a one-world army, Okay. So not that he's not going to have enemies either, because there are some scriptures that says the Antichrist is going to have some foes and stuff. So there's still be some, some human factor that's, that's, that is going to come against him, not that they're going to do much, but it's going to be there. But for the most part, one world economy, one world religion, one world government, one world um, army as well with that, right? So, so people have tried to identify what is going to be the one religion that the Antichrist is going to use to control the world. So, so again, 30 years ago, we read this book. Oh, my gosh, this is just makes so much sense. The Holy Roman Catholic Church dominates planet Earth. They have for the last 2,000 years. If the Holy Roman Catholic Church were a country, it would be the second wealthiest country in the world. They own more land and property and, and, and fine art than any one country and person in the world. They have all this power and influence, and they fit all these bills and all the idolatry that's now seeped into 
you know, this new Vatican they just built that is absolutely 100% diabolically idolatry, just to the core idolatrous, and just, ugh, bad, bad, bad idolatry. So you read this book 30 years ago, The Woman Who Rides the Beast. The Woman Who Rides the Beast is this false religion. Oh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then that kind of dies out because, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years, the world kind of political, geopolitical scheme changes a little bit. So, so what, is, what is now dominating the surface that the Antichrist is going to have to deal with is Islam. There's 1.2 billion Muslims in the world, and they're dominating the world. It's the fastest-growing religion in the world, and whoever this Antichrist character is, they're still going to be.